Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leupold. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. So, the last couple of weeks, I had an interview with David Fowler from the Family Action Council, Tennessee, and we talked about the common law, positive law, uh, things related to that, and I hope that you found that very enjoyable and very useful. Uh, what I want to do today is essentially look at uh, two letters. This is a tale of two letters, both of whom are, are quite related to each other. Uh, one, the first, is called the Frankfurt Declaration. It's fairly recent. It was published, I believe, a few months ago uh, from Frankfurt, Germany, uh, from several evangelical pastors there. And it talks about the relationship between uh, the government uh, individuals, the church, conscience, uh, things like that, and, and tries to lay out very clearly what God has to say about these things. And it's been signed by uh, thousands of individuals, uh, some of which include um, Pastor John MacArthur signed it, uh, Vody Balcom signed it, Dr. James White signed it, uh, Pastor Joe Boot signed it as well. So various pastors throughout the world, uh, Canada, United States, England, uh, Europe, have signed it, and some of them uh, quite well known. Um, so, for that reason alone, I think it's it's worth considering and worth looking at. Uh, so, what I want to do is just read through uh, the articles. There's, I believe, only four of them, uh, not not particularly long, and just take a look at what it has to say and why it's important. So, beginning with Article One, which says God, the Creator, as sovereign lawgiver and judge. Here's what Article One says. We affirm that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the personal creator of all things visible and invisible, the blessed and only sovereign, and the ultimate lawgiver for all human conduct. We believe that he has revealed in the Holy Scriptures and the conscience of men an unchangeable morality which is rooted in his own character and which defines the nature of good and evil conduct for all people at all times. As the lawgiver, God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. We therefore deny that impersonal matter is the final reality behind all things, and the belief that human conduct is merely a biological or sociological phenomenon. Since God is the ultimate lawgiver and judge, we deny the right of any earthly authority to define morality and require unconditional obedience of their citizens when contrary to his law. We also have good grounds to question the modern state's ethical pronouncements and moral vision since their secular humanism and relativistic ethics have no transcendent basis for human behavior or morality. So those two paragraphs essentially highlight that Yes, God is the ultimate lawgiver. If you have laws, you have to have a lawgiver. And God's law is an unchangeable morality, moral principles, revealed in Scripture. And it's also present in the consciences of men through natural revelation, since we're all made in God's image. And it defines what good and evil is for all people and at all times. So that's important. We do have a universal good. Uh, that which is good is declared to be so by God and is applicable to everyone. And what they deny is simply a materialism, that matter is all that there is, just atoms colliding with, with each other, uh, you know, chemical reactions, all, you know, that 
worldview, that that is all that matters, is something that needs to be denied. And that human conduct and life is only material. And really all that matters is simply biologically living. Uh, and, and if that's what it is, then that's going to change how the laws function. And, you know, they, this article denies that earthly powers can make up their own morality and require unconditional obedience. Essentially, only God can do that. Only God can define morality and require obedience uh, of his people, of all people, because they are all made in his image. So that's Article 1, basically setting the groundwork of authority. Article 2 says this, We affirm that God, the Creator, is the truth, and that therefore objective truth exists, and can be derived from his revelation in scripture and nature, and from any facts which can be credibly verified. We endorse science, which seeks to discover, through the scientific method and debate, the truths that God has built into the natural world. We also affirm the limitations of science, including its ability to speak authoritatively on areas outside its purview, and its propensity to err when data is lacking. Since man has fallen into sin, we further affirm that all his thoughts, deductions, and institutions contain degrees of corruption which tend to distort, manipulate, or suppress the truth. We therefore deny that human governments are morally and ideologically neutral and always know or seek what is good for their citizens and that their narrative should be unconditionally trusted. We reject any deception, fear-mongering, propagandizing, and indoctrination by the state and mass media and all reporting on critical world issues which is premature, selective, or ideologically manipulative. We further reject the assertions of any so-called scientific consensus, which abandons the scientific method and ignores or suppresses the concerns of dissident voices. We likewise reject scientism, since, even when scientific findings correctly describe a particular phenomenon, they cannot adequately and normatively address complex social realities or prescribe policies that have ethical implications. So there's a lot there, but the first part simply affirms that we aren't science deniers. Christians do believe in science, and, and in fact, it is the Christian worldview that allows for science. Science simply is... Um, rooted in the Latin word, I believe it's scientia, uh, it's simply in its or original meaning just means knowledge. That's really what it is. It's knowledge. So when we are doing science, we can do science because we believe that the world was designed a certain way and has certain rules that it follows. Um, if everything is changing, if the laws of gravity change tomorrow, um, if the sun does not rise tomorrow, if fire does not burn tomorrow, if, if everything changes, then you can't do science. You can only do science because you believe that the laws of nature will continue to exist tomorrow and that you can do repetitive um, experiments and you can control for variables because variables are similar and how they function day after day after day. So uh, that's why we can do science. And science, of course, has its limitations because, uh, you know, technically speaking, if you're engaging in a scientific method, you have to be able to test or verify 
or you know engage in some kind of practice that that sees the results but there are some areas of knowledge that cannot be tested like that an example would be history so you can use things you can use tools of science like archaeology to study history but to truly know history you cannot repeat the experiment you cannot go back and do it again so history there is knowledge there but it cannot be as you would say proven scientifically same is true for philosophy those things also cannot be proven scientifically through some kind of measurable material experimentation you know, the laws of logic things like that so there are areas that science cannot tell us anything and in the in the second portion of this article talks about um, rejecting scientism now scientism is a is a religion of science the idea that science tells you how to live your life and so that last statement there uh, that is written in the article it basically highlights the problem between what's called um, the is ought fallacy now this was a fallacy that I believe was articulated most clearly by David Hume, who was an, an atheist, uh, or is typically described as an atheist philosopher of the Enlightenment. But David Hume argued that simply because something is a certain way doesn't mean it ought to be that way. And you can't just bridge the gap. So science can describe things. It can tell you how things function. So, you know, for example, science might tell you that fire burns or that things melt at a certain temperature or science might also tell you that it takes a man and a woman together to have a baby but that just is describing things that does not say what it ought to be and so science cannot tell you the ought uh, i think one uh, currently living christian philosopher his name is john lennox and he debated richard dawkins and lennox made the argument that science can tell you that putting cyanide in your grandmother's tea will kill her, but it can't tell you that it's wrong to do that. And that's true. There are limitations to science, including the ought. You can't bridge the gap from the is to the ought um, arbitrarily like that. So that's essentially Article 2. So Article 3 uh, says this, we affirm that every human being is created in the image and likeness of God and therefore has inherent dignity and worth, along with certain inalienable rights and liberties requisite for a proper human life. These rights and liberties include the right to corporate worship, personal and in-person relationships, vocational employments, and participation in the important events of human life, such as the right to comfort the sick and the dying, especially of one's own family, to attend funerals, to witness the birth of one's child, to marry in a public gathering, to fellowship and eat together with others, and to engage in honorable work. We also affirm that governments should recognize that each individual is responsible for their own bodily well-being and should protect the right to personal medical self-determination. We therefore deny the dehumanizing actions of a governmental authority or any other institution, to subject any person to psychological manipulation and intimidation. 
This includes fostering suspicion of others by portraying them as potential threats to the common and individual good. We likewise oppose the state's mandating of medical decisions for its citizens and the criminalizing and forced segregation, vocational disempowerment, and any other deprivation of rights of persons who choose not to comply with their government's medical policies. We thus reject all forms of medical coercion and any restrictions on individual freedoms for people who are not infected with any contagious, life-threatening disease. This includes the implementation of vaccine passes, social distancing, or mask wearing as a general prerequisite for access to public places or for participation in work or social life. Global trends toward transhumanism and technological surveillance and control over human beings we also oppose, since they undermine the human agency which is so fundamental to our God-given calling to live as image bearers. So, the first paragraph. Everyone is made in God's image, and that's why we do have inherent dignity and worth. And, and of course, if if you're if we're just a bunch of matter, random atoms colliding with each other, the result of random processes, then there are no inherent rights or liberties. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. The universe doesn't care about your rights and your liberties, and and certainly lions don't uh, value the rights of the gazelles or anything like that. It's just that's it. It's just Nature's painful. Life is tough. People die. It's the strong rule the weak, and that's the way it is. Um, and there are no rights and liberties if that is indeed the case. But we believe in Scripture. We believe in God and God's Word as revealed in Scripture. So we believe that there are rights. God has commanded and expects people to worship Him. He expects people to be in relationship with each other, um, to take care of one's family, he commands us to work, which is part of the dominion mandate. We need to work. We're call, called to work, commanded to work. We're to comfort the sick and the dying. We're to, we're to do these things. We're to get married. And marriage existed publicly before there was any government. And we're allowed to fellowship, and we should fellowship with one another and to engage in work. So these are all things that we need to do. And we also have the authority to determine our own medical procedures that are done to us. Okay, and this is something that this article affirms, and the government is many governments, I should say, are are waging war against. That's what they de they deny. So the article denies the uh, basically the right of the government to coerce its citizens into doing something that basically uh, uh, put one's neighbor against the other neighbor by saying, well, you know, you can't trust your neighbor because your neighbor might not be vaccinated or, or might not be wearing a mask, so you can't trust them. To, to sow discord among brothers or among neighbors is, a, is one of the, the abominations that God lists, I believe, in Proverbs, uh, one who sows discord among brothers. Um, the government can sow discord. And and the media can as well. And doing that is an abomination in the eyes of God. So medical coercion, uh, restricting individual freedoms, uh, forcing certain things. Um, these are all these are all big problems. And and the paragraph, the article ends with the trends towards transhumanism. And there is a movement out there among the well-educated and the technologically advanced groups to try to find ways to hack the human. How do we hack humans? Uh, with with chips, 
uh, things like that. And and the idea here is that um, I think it really it roots itself in the concept of utopia, where you know we want we have this vision of the perfect world, and we can build a utopia utopian society. So how do we do that? Well, the problem is in order to do that, you have to control everybody. You have to make sure that everybody follows the rules and fits in line, uh, or else the utopian society will never happen. It'll it'll fail. Um, getting rid of the family is one of those one of those steps, and that goes back to even Plato talks about in his Republic, um, uh, getting rid of the the human family because it's unpredictable. You have parents and children, and and these parents are teaching the children without the express permission of the of the government of the state. Um, that is a risk for disunity, uh, for for not reaching utopia. Well, the same can be said for individual freedoms. So each person is a variable that isn't really trustworthy, um, and it's it's too much it's too much of a variable for the utopia. To work, we need the individual humans to be under control. So you need to watch them, you need to control them, you need to hack them, and and if they're just matter, if we're purely matter, well, we can we can be changed. So that's Article Three. Article Four states this: We affirm that all earthly authorities derive their authority, the right to be obeyed, from God, who is over all, to whom all must give account. We believe that he has established their different spheres of responsibility and in so doing has set limits to their authority. God has delegated authority to civil governments for the purpose of rewarding good and punishing evil and to protect the God-given rights and freedoms granted to all people. He has also delegated authority to the church in its various expressions, particularly to make disciples of all nations by preaching the word of God and to establish and administer redeemed communities of faith living under the authority of Christ. In addition, he has delegated authority to the family as the basic unit of society for the purpose of fostering societal cohesion and sexual fidelity and to protect, provide for, raise, and educate children in the way of the Lord. We affirm our rights as citizens, parents, and Christians to freely self-determine our beliefs and behaviors based on these truths. We therefore deny totalitarian ideologies of governments which do not recognize the boundaries of their authority and usurp the authority delegated by God to the church or the family. In particular, we reject the tendency of governments to centralize beliefs and conduct for their citizens by creating an authoritarian society in which the state is absolute. Such totalitarianism and statism is built upon beliefs that have fundamentally redefined good and evil and the nature of human beings and are contrary to the divine order of things. The effect of such beliefs is to enslave individual and religious freedoms and engender an ideological intolerance, which seeks to silence, cancel, and re-educate those who disagree. We also oppose the view that children are the property of the state and therefore subjects to be indoctrinated, and also any encouragement or manipulation of children to undergo medical procedures without parental consent. So, this is a very powerful uh, article here that that sets the limits between the various uh, spheres of government. God has given certain authority to civil governments and family governments and the church government, and they each have their place. All right. And, and the article simply points out, well, what the role of the family is, is to educate children, to raise children and protect children. And 
The government's job is not to interfere with that. But again, the desire for utopia is going to require the state to not trust the family. Because how can you trust the family? All these families doing different things is not going to provide utopia. Uh, and then the same is said regarding uh, children being the property of the state. Again, the family existed before the government did. And children are not the property of the state. The state cannot just take away parental rights or indoctrinate children without parental consent um, and cannot manipulate children to undergo procedures without parental consent. That would include transgender surgeries and things like that. So the problem is these governments are tending to become totalitarian. Now, totalitarian simply refers to the idea that government has its hand in every area of life, every level, every aspect of life, business, entertainment, economics, from individual to family to business to church, all the way to the tippy top. It's total. It's a total control of all things. And the purpose of it is to shape society into the image that the state wants it to be in, that the totalitarians want it to be in. Um, again, they, they play God. They want to form the nation into its image uh, to fulfill its mandate that it defines, not the mandate that God has defined and not in the image of Christ, but in the image of the state or the leaders of the state. So that is their goal with utopia. And for them to do that, they must get involved in the family and involved in individuals. All right. This is the last article, and then there's a conclusion. Article 5. We affirm that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ belongs to him at the cost of his life, and that it is accountable to him alone in all matters of faith and practice. We believe that Christ's command to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God establishes the functional independence of the church from the state. We believe that Christ, who is Lord over all, calls all without distinction of any kind to freely and regularly gather together in his name and local congregations to seek and serve him in truth and love. We further affirm that the activities of the local church, insofar as they are essential acts of worship, are to be regulated by Christ alone. We therefore deny that any other authority has jurisdiction over the church to regulate any of its affairs and matters of faith and practice, or to relegate its activities to a non-essential status. We thus repudiate all actions of the state that impose coercive measures over the church and criminalize, inhibit, or regulate any of its activities which are undertaken as acts of service toward its Lord. Lastly, we resist the trend of digital platforms and Christian worship and ministry to become substitutes for congregational and in-person ministry which are essential to our faith. So there again, highlights the authority of Christ, particularly because he paid for the church with his life, uh, and that Jesus is the one that sets the boundary between what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God. Now, this is also important, that essential acts of worship are to be regulated by Christ alone, not the state. The state can't tell you whether to sing or not, whether to have communion or not, whether to preach or not, or how long your services need to be. Uh, for that to happen is for the state, the state to step into the authority of Christ, which it does not have. Uh, another one that's very interesting is that the state can't describe worship as non-essential or the church is non-essential. And this is important because 
from a materialistic worldview, if you truly believe that life is just about material living, it's just about the 80 years that we breathe here on earth, and we're just a bunch of atoms colliding, there's nothing spiritual about us. If you believe that, then the church is nothing more than an entertainment club or a social club. It's not essential. It really isn't. And they truly believe that. I mean, I, I know as, it's hard for us as Christians to say, what, you really believe that? But no, they truly do believe that. If, if you only subscribe to materialism and naturalism, the church is not necessary. If you got rid of the church, life would go on. Because life is only material. That's what they believe. So I, I bet you they can't even understand why we care so much about the First Amendment or uh, the freedom of worship. All right, we'll end with uh, the conclusion here of the, of the statement. It says this, We commend and express our gratitude to those civil authorities who respect the essential nature of these Christian beliefs and practices and who have a high regard for individual and religious freedoms. To those civil authorities who have disregarded these freedoms, we call on you to repent and to become again the protectors of liberty and of the rights that God has given to all men. Lest, in the abuse of your God-given authority, you become liable to God's wrath. To those who desire to compel us to obey the secular state rather than God, we respectfully but firmly say, like the three Hebrews who refused to worship Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue, we have no need to answer you in this matter. The God we serve is able to save us from you, and he will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the idols you have set up. To our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, we say, Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It appears that the world may well be entering a time of testing, not only for the church, but for everyone who believes in freedom and who opposes tyranny. Let us stand with those who are hard-pressed, arrested, or forcefully isolated, because they have chosen to do what is right. Let us stand in solidarity with those whose churches are forcefully closed or who are exiled from their congregations. Let us help and support in practical ways those who are fined or have to forfeit their employment for the sake of Christ. And we ask our brothers and sisters who have lived under persecution all their lives to pray for us, that God would give us the grace to bless those who persecute us and to pray for them, that God would give us the courage to stand firm in our faith as his witnesses, and that he who is Lord over all would give us the strength to remain faithful and persevere to the end. Amen. So, that is the Frankfurt Declaration. Um, the last thing I wanted to cover was a related letter uh, from Pastor John MacArthur. And this is the letter, open letter, to Governor Gavin Newsom. And I'm just going to read it, maybe say a few words before we close for the day. So here's, it's dated September 29th, 2022. Sir, Almighty God says in his word, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Scripture also teaches that it is the chief duty of any civic leader to reward those who do well and to punish evildoers. You have not only failed in that responsibility, you routinely turn it on its head, rewarding evildoers and punishing the righteous. The word of God pronounces judgment on those who call evil good and good evil, 
And yet many of your policies reflect this unholy, upside-down view of honor and morality. The diabolical effects of your worldview are evident in the statistics of California's epidemics of crime, homelessness, sexual perversions like homosexuality and transgenderism, and other malignant expressions of human misery that stem directly from corrupt public policy. I don't need to itemize or elaborate on the many immoral decisions you have perpetrated against God and the people of our state which have only exacerbated these problems. Nevertheless, my goal in writing is not to contend with your politics, but rather to plead with you to hear and heed what the word of God says to men in your position. Let all kings bow down before him, all nations serve him. Psalm 72.11 He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises. 2 Samuel 23, verses 3-4 It is an abomination for kings to commit wicked acts, for a throne is established on righteousness. Proverbs 16.12 What God said to Cyrus is a truth you should take to heart. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Isaiah 45 verses 5-6 through In mid-September, you reveal to the entire nation how thoroughly rebellious against God you are when you sponsored billboards across America promoting the slaughter of children whom he creates in the womb. You further compounded the wickedness of that murderous campaign with a reprehensible act of gross blasphemy, quoting the very words of Jesus from Mark 12.31, as if you could somehow twist his meaning and arrogate his name in favor of butchering unborn infants, You use the name and the words of Christ to promote the credo of Moloch, Leviticus 20, verses 1 through 5. It would be hard to imagine a greater sacrilege. Furthermore, you chose words from the lips of Jesus without admitting that in the same moment he gave the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, Mark 12.30. You cannot love God as he commands while aiding in the murder of his image bearers. Psalm 50, verses 16 through 19, speaks to people who pervert the word of God for their own sinful ends. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recount of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil, and you harness your tongue for deceit. My concern, Governor Newsom, is that your own soul lies in grave eternal peril. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. One day, not very long from now, you will face that reality. Nothing is more certain. It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, Hebrews 9.27. You will stand in the presence of the holy God who created you, who is your judge, and he will demand that you give an account for how you have flouted his authority in your governing and how you have twisted his own holy word to rationalize it. As you look over the precipice of eternity, what will your answer be? When you look ahead of you and see that nothing awaits you but eternal misery, the just punishment for your sins, what will all the clever rationalizations and political talking points avail for you then? And by then it will be too late for any remedy or redemption. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10.31 My plea to you, sir, is that you would not let it come to that, that you would not go to that day of judgment apart from receiving forgiveness and righteousness through faith in Christ alone. In Psalm 50, 
after rebuking the wicked for uttering God's words in a profane way, Scripture makes this promise. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there will be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me, and he who orders his way, I shall show the salvation of God. Psalm 50, verses 22 through 23. So, there is salvation for those who repent. Christ purchased full redemption for all who will turn from wickedness, forsake their evil thoughts and actions, and trust fully in Him as Lord and Savior. Our church and countless Christians nationwide are praying for your full repentance. Please respond to the gospel. Forsake the path of wickedness you have pursued all your life. Turn to Christ ask for forgiveness, and use your office to advance the cause of righteousness, as is your duty, instead of undermining it, as has been your pattern. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55, verses 6-7. through Governor Newsom, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6.2 For the Master, John MacArthur, Pastor Teacher. So that letter, quite powerful letter, is exactly what Christian leaders need to do and need to be doing. Not just Christian leaders, but Christian citizens, all Christians. Um, like John the Baptist, like Daniel, like his three friends, like Paul when he stood before Governor Felix, we have an obligation to say something. If we truly love our neighbor, we will speak up for them when their rights are being trampled. And if we truly love our rulers and our kings and our governors, then we will call them to repentance and warn them of the coming judgment. That's what we would want to do. And if we don't do it, if we, if we refuse to talk to them, then we condemn them to the flames. And that's not love. We say something because we love them. Um, if we didn't love them, we wouldn't say anything. We would just let them burn. So Pastor John MacArthur is doing exactly what he needs to be doing. Uh, Governor Newsom, he is taking the words of the Lord and twisting them for sin. I mean, it really is satanic. It really is evil. It also goes to show, though, that every ruler wants to be legitimate, and everybody wants some kind of legitimacy or affirmation from a spiritual authority. We're not, what I'm saying is we're not truly materialistic. If, if all we were was just a bunch of atoms, and if you truly believed in evolutionary theory, then there's no reason to quote Jesus. It's just one man's opinion. So for Governor Newsom to spend the money to, to put a religious spin on his beliefs um, goes to show that we're all made in God's image. We're all religious in a sense. And we all want our actions to be justified. And we appeal to some kind of a divine authority to do that. Um, it just so happens that uh, Newsom is following after the pattern of Satan where God's word is twisted and is flipped on its head to promote evil rather than good. Just as Satan said to, to the woman in the garden, did God really say? And so in the same sentence, in the same way, um, Governor Newsom is, is doing the same thing. Did God? What did God say by love your neighbor? Here's what he said. Love your neighbor by killing your neighbor, by, by murdering the baby 
in the womb who is also your neighbor. He doesn't point that part out. He leaves that part out you know, conveniently. But it is a truly wicked thing to try to co-opt the words of Christ and twist them to be used for the devil's purposes. And that's what the devil does, though. That's what he's always done. And he'll continue to do that. And he did that when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Quoted scripture. He ripped it out of context. Um, that's what he does. He's a father of lies. And so our job is to speak the truth as Christians and to call out the lies when we when we hear them. So, anyways, that is the tale of two letters that uh, we looked over today. I hope that you found that interesting and useful. I encourage you to read them both. They're all they're all online. Uh, you can search for Frankfurt Declaration. You can go to frankfurtdeclaration.com, I believe. You can also search for Open Letter uh, to Gavin Newsom by John MacArthur, and that's available on his church website. Uh, I encourage you to read them and think through them. Um, and if you're so inclined to sign the Frankfurt Declaration, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, so with that, if you have any questions, feel free to email me at thegbgpodcast at gmail.com or go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and message me there. I'm, I'm happy to uh, respond to any of your comments or cover any topics that you want to hear about. Uh, again, thank you for tuning in. And until next time, take care and God bless.